0: Well, good morning, faith family. I want to give a very special welcome to all of our guests that are here today. I know we have a lot that are visiting with us, and we are thrilled to have you here. We want to say hello to those gathered in Lakeville, uh, in our sanctuary service, as well as our overflow. We got a lot of people in a lot of places, and we are glad you're here. If you have a Bible, would you turn to John chapter 11? Uh, You can turn on your phone or tablet or whatever device you have. Uh, We're in John chapter 11 this morning. If you're a guest with us, the last few weeks we've been uh, going through a series called All Sides of the Savior, and we're looking at the humanity of Jesus, trying to understand who he is as uh, the person of Jesus Christ. And the reason that we're doing this is because uh, we believe that Christianity is about a personal relationship relationship with Jesus and because of that, we must know the person of Jesus. You know that, like the more you know about a person, the more personal that relationship becomes. And so we're going through the gospels and looking at some of the encounters with Jesus uh, to know him more. And so this morning in John 11, we're gonna look at an, account, an encounter with Jesus that not only shows us uh, part of who he is, but also gives us the good news that we celebrate uh, at Easter. And so uh, John's, uh, John chapter. 11, if you are able to stand in all of our locations, please do so. Uh, This is just a way here at Berean that we honor uh, God's word because we believe that it has the very authority of God. John 11, beginning at verse 17, it says, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Uh, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews uh, would come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Would you please pray for me? And would you pray with me? We believe in these moments that God speaks to us through his word. Would you pray that with me? Let's pray. God, thank you for this time to be together this morning. What a celebration this day truly is. Uh, We are celebrating the fact that the very voice in the beginning that spoke life into existence still breathes life today. And I pray that in this place and all of our locations, Holy Spirit, would you just come and meet us here and bring life May we experience a true renewal and resurrection in Jesus today. We pray and we ask it for his glory. In Jesus' name I pray. God's people said. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. What do you think? It's a match. You agree? I agree. You have made me a happy man. Let's drink to it. To you, no, to you, to our agreement, to our prosperity, uh, to our health and happiness, and most important of all, to life. life. Take some wedding to make a say, let's live another day, bring the time to life. We'll raise a glass and sip a drop of shots in honor of the great good luck and favored you. We know that when good fortune favors good, such medicine, to touch men, it's reason, we deserve it too. To us and our good fortune, be happy, be healthy, love life. And if our good fortune ever comes, it's to whatever comes, drink the to L'chaim. L'chaim to life. L'chaim. to life. Uh, you probably recognize that phrase from the popular Broadway musical Fiddler on the Roof. But, but that word, l'chaim, is actually very central uh, to uh, Jewish culture. Uh, the word, it actually comes from a Hebrew root word, which means to be alive. And that was something that was very valuable in a Jewish mindset. Life was something that was very precious, something uh, to be respected. In fact, it goes all the way back in the Old Testament. For instance, in Deuteronomy chapter 30, Moses says this, Therefore choose life, that you and your offspring may live. Loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days. In other words, liam to life. Now, if you're here today and maybe you would say, I'm not really a very religious person. I don't even know that I consider myself a person of faith. Even still, my guess is that you resonate with that concept uh, even still because all of us as human beings know that deep down there's something wonderful and beautiful and precious about life. You know that. It's that feeling you get when you hold a newborn baby. That feeling you have as you watch a sunrise come up on a new day, Uh, that feeling of falling in love, A a flower as it begins to bloom, the enjoyment of a really good meal, laughter with a friend, and of course, grandchildren. And all the grandparents said, I figured I'd get a few of you, all right, very good, very good. But you also know that feeling on the other side of the emotional spectrum. For instance, it's the grieving of life when it's gone. My point, and you know this, come on, be honest with me this morning. Everybody here knows that even though we may express it differently, all of us in some way have have a toast of L'chaim to life. Now that's what I want us to think about this Easter because as I thought about this, I feel like that sometimes we preachers, we pastors have not been thorough enough, that we've been a little too one-sided. What I mean by this is if you like listen to 10 Easter messages, the majority of them are going to put the accent on death. It goes like this, they'll ask questions like, where will you spend eternity after you die? Or, do you have hope in Death, or this inevitably is going to be said. Did you know that all of you are going to die? (laughs) You've heard that, right? And you're sitting there thinking, yeah, I knew that. Thanks for reminding me, buddy. Way to be a downer, all right? (laughs) And I'm not suggesting that those are not appropriate. They're very appropriate. I've done it before. All I'm suggesting this morning is it is a bit one-sided. What I want us to understand is this. The resurrection not only gives us hope to die someday, the resurrection gives us hope to live today. Liam, to life. Now, it reminds me of one of my favorite lines from an old TV Western called Lonesome Dove, right? With Robert Duvall and Tommy Lee Jones. As some of you will remember this line from like four years ago when I was teaching through the Psalms because I, I just love it. These two guys are Texas Rangers. They're best friends, but they couldn't be more opposite. Um, Woodrow is stern and serious and focused and, and Gus is a, a party looking for a place to happen. These guys couldn't be any more different and they've got this mutual friend who's in trouble and they, they want to go help her out. Gus wants to go help her out, but Woodrow doesn't want to get involved. Woodrow looks at Gus in this very heated exchange and says, Gus, if you go up there, you'll end up dying. And Gus looks at him and he says, You just don't get it, do you? It ain't dying I'm talking about. It's living. Faith, family, the resurrection of Jesus Christ ain't talking about dying. It's talking about living. I mean real living. I mean abundant living. I'm talking about living the kind of human life that God created humans to have. And it's exactly what we see in John chapter 11. Look at it. As you enter into this passage, you are introduced to a man by the name of Lazarus. He's on his deathbed. Hospice has left. The family has been called in. The sisters, Mary and Martha, realize the urgency of this situation, and so they call out for Jesus. They know his power. They've seen his miracles. They know that nothing is impossible with this man. And by the way, that teaches us something, namely that every one of us, whether you consider yourself religious or not, looks to someone or something to give you peace in crisis. Notice this. Everyone has faith in something. The question is, do you have faith in the right thing? Even if you said, I'm not a person of faith, the reality is, yes, you are. You put faith in something. It may be yourself. It may be your family. It may be your good works. It may be Jesus. But everybody looks to something. Mary and Martha cry out and call out for Jesus to come and help. One day passes. Jesus still hasn't shown. Now, what could be taking Jesus so long? Maybe it's April and there's been a blizzard. I hear that happens in some parts of the world. (laughs) Maybe Jesus' Uber broke down along the way. (laughs) But I'm sure whatever the reason, I'm sure it's a good reason. Verse 6. So when Jesus heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now, That's not the kind of response you would expect to get from a guy who's built his ministry on helping people in need. He has built his ministry on helping people. And the Bible even says he loves Lazarus. What's going on? And cheer up, it gets worse. Verse 14. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake, I am glad that I was not there. Wow. Are you serious? Are you kidding me? Like, I can't believe Jesus just said that. I mean, he doesn't only just not show, he brags about it. I wanted to get you to feel this passage, to, to get involved emotionally here. I can imagine that you have a loved one you care deeply about, they've been rushed to the ER, it's life threatening, and you call out for a pastor. And uh, hypothetically, that pastor ignores your call and I don't know, like continues fishing. <laughs> and then I, I mean he, this this metaphorical pastor has the audacity to show up at the funeral a few days later and say, I am so glad I wasn't there for you. (laughs) You'd be so furious. You'd be upset. Why is Jesus doing this? Why is he responding this way? Because it doesn't seem to reconcile with what we often think about Jesus. Listen, the truth is, geographically, Jesus is far enough away that when he heard, had he left immediately, he wouldn't have been there before Lazarus died anyways. So he waits two days to make sure that there is no doubt at all, Lazarus is dead. Now here's the point underneath that you need to get. Everybody right here, Lakeville Sanctuary, Overflow, everybody? Everybody? Jesus has a plan. You're going to see that as the text unfolds. He has a plan. He always has a plan. You say, well, pastor, I don't like his plan. Okay. Uh, J. Vernon McGee says this. This is God's universe. He does things his way. You may have a better way, but you don't have a universe. That's just how it works, okay? Okay. You may have a better plan, but Jesus knows better than you. He has a plan. But I want you to see the responses that people have to this seeming delay of Jesus. Because I think if we would be honest today, even with our Easter best and, and Sunday outfits, if we would just be at church today and be honest about what we are, where we are, I think we would find ourselves here. Look at one response, for instance, in verse 20. It says, so when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. One response is distance from Jesus. Uh, Mary doesn't go out to meet him. Come on, be honest with me this morning. It's okay to not be okay. Some of you are here, and, and, and let's be honest, you're very distant in your relationship with God. There's been a lot of life that's happened in the last few months. There's been a lot of hurt and pain that's happened. And if you would just be honest here today, you would say, there has been a distance that's happened between me and God. Here's what I want to tell you. I'm really, really glad you're here. And whether you will believe this or not, I hope that you will. I prayed specifically for you this week. I knew there would be people like Mary who've just grown distant. And I, w- I would just love for you to give us some time to maybe come back and, and let us minister to you to, to bring renewal in that relationship with God. Maybe your response isn't distance. Maybe it's this. Look at verse 21. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. This is a response of disappointment. Jesus, where were you? Why didn't you show up on time? Why didn't you come through when I really needed you? How many of you, be honest at church, have ever been disappointed with God? Yeah, absolutely. Some are testifying. That's awesome. I'm so thankful for that honesty because I've been there. It's like, my calendar and your calendar don't seem to be syncing up here. Like, I feel really disappointed because it appears as though you're not coming through. Here's what I want to say to you. I'm really glad you're here. It's okay to not be okay. It's okay to be disappointed and wonder. Uh, there's a lot of people in the Bible that look at God and they say, I don't have a clue what you're doing. Where are you, God? God. And you know what? The truth is, I've been praying specifically for you because I knew you'd be here. And my hope is that you would give us some time, maybe even come back and let us minister to you, that, that maybe that disappointment would begin to heal and you'd be renewed in your walk with God. Maybe those two are not you, maybe you're this one, verse 37. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? This is a response of doubt. Hey, maybe Jesus just isn't who he says he is. I don't know about this whole Christianity thing. Maybe you're here today and like those in this passage, you've got some questions and you're not really sure. I am so glad you're here and I am so glad you brought your questions with you because we're not afraid to ask questions. There's a lot of people in the Bible that ask questions. And what I would ask is that particularly in this series, as we're exploring who Jesus is, that you would come back and bring your questions with you. Because I believe that at some point, faith will break through. If you're here and you relate to any of these responses, we are glad that you're here. The Bible gives us the freedom to have these kind of responses in our walk with God. But don't just notice the response they have towards Jesus. Notice the response Jesus has towards them. It's important that you see this side of the Savior. Verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And then verse 33, When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. It goes on to say that Jesus wept. What a beautiful Savior. What an amazing response. Here's what Jesus does to us in our pain. He he, um, speaks truth and he also sheds tears. He gives hope. And he hurts with us. He has conviction and he has compassion. What a savior! Jesus can meet you right where you are. He knows exactly how to minister to you in your pain. You know, some people dismiss Christianity. They dismiss God because the problem of pain. There's so much evil in the world. I would love to talk about that. I'd love to have a conversation with you about that. That's not this morning's sermon. But let me at least say this to you. While I may not be able to answer every question, I can assure you of this. Only Jesus can comfort our pain because only Jesus has entered into our pain. No other belief system, no other religion gives you this. This is God has come into our world. He knows our pain and so he can give us hope and hurt with us at the exact same time. What a savior, what a savior. And he is worth your looking into. Now, Jesus doesn't just console their pain. He's also going to turn his attention here to the problem because there is kind of an elephant still in the room. Lazarus is still dead. That's a problem. And so Jesus turns his attention now to that. Look at verse 38. Then Jesus deeply moved again came to the tomb, it was a cave, a stone lay against it, and Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. Now, if you have the King James Version, it says, Lord, he stinketh. (laughs) It really does. I'm not making that up, right? It really says, he stinketh. You ought to memorize that verse. You never know when you might need that to talk about your husband. Anyways, all right, back to verse 43. (laughs) If Jesus said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Now, Augustine said that had Jesus not used the word Lazarus, all the graves would have opened. And the man, verse 44, who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen stripes, his face wrapped. With a cloth and Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Can you imagine the celebration that's going on? The excitement. Everybody's happy. Chuck Norris is happy. I mean, it is, an, I mean, get your mind around the fact that they've been weeping and mourning. Now their brother is alive again and the celebration that is taking place in that moment. That is the story of Lazarus and you may be here and you'd say okay that was a entertaining story and I didn't fall asleep twice you know like I often do at church but I really don't think that has any relevance at all for my life and if you think that you could not be more wrong because here's what you've got to understand here's what we're going to take the next couple hours to explore we don't have another service do we Watch this. Notice it on the screen. Jesus here not only identifies with human pain, Jesus solves the human problem. Jesus is, is showing us something here. He's saying something, and then he's showing something. He's professing something, then he's proving something. And, and in order to understand this, you've got to put the little story... In the big story, the little story of Lazarus, in the big story of what God is doing in Jesus Christ. Now, follow me, stay with me, all right? It's all centered around the claim that Jesus makes in verse 25. Notice it Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. What a statement. Now, you better be able to back that up if you're going to go around making claims like that. What does this even mean? Why is Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead? Is he just showing off? I mean, he just walks in. I've got this really cool trick. I bring dead people back to life. I'm going to Vegas next. I'll be there 30 days. It's an amazing show. No, he's not showing off here at all. Here's what some of you think he's doing. Those of you a part of our faith family that have been going through this series the last few weeks. Uh, you're still trying to get your mind around a concept in week one, which is Jesus isn't even showing us here that he's God, even though he is. This doesn't have anything to do with his divinity, even though he is fully and eternally divine. You say, prove that, big boy. Oh, well, okay, I will. Verse 27. She said to him, to Jesus, yes, Lord, I believe you are the what? Say it. Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. In other words, she says, I believe you are the human Messiah, I believe that you are the one promised long ago. I believe that you're the human being anointed of God. You are the Christ. This doesn't have anything to do with his divinity, even though he is fully divine in this moment. It's about his humanity. Now, here's why that's important. Are you still with me? Because that means it has huge implications for humanity. I asked you to do this a few weeks ago. In all of our locations, I want you to play along. Show of hands, raise them high if you are a human. Okay, raise them up, raise them up. Most everybody here, I want to welcome the zombies in the back, the couple aliens that are here. We're glad you're with us. But most of you would say, I hope all of you, I'm human. Then you had better listen up you had better pay close attention because Jesus is doing something here in the resurrection of Lazarus that has everything to do with your life. Namely, he's not talking about your dying, he's talking about your living. Now, I know some of you are thinking, yep, here it comes. I knew eventually he'd get there. This is where he inserts the part about, do you have hope when you die? Wrong, Martha, Verse 23, Jesus said, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, "Why, well, no, know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. In other words, here's what Jesus is saying. Would, mm, would you stop for a moment thinking about the future? I'm telling you that this is not about the future. This is about right now. That this isn't about one day when you die, it's about today as you live. I'm doing something because I am the resurrection and the life. So what is he doing? Now, if you're a guest, usually I'm very calm. Normally, I just sit here and I'm like monotone, never raise my voice, but I... What I'm about to tell you, it's the greatest news in the world. It's, it, and it, I can't help but get unbelievably passionate about this. Here's what Jesus is showing us. That in him, in Jesus, human life is restored. Human life is restored. You say, well, what do you mean? Here's what I mean. Human beings were created to live In Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God creates humanity and he breathes life into them. He gives them a beautiful setting, amazing food, flowing water, work, abundant blessings, relationship with God. And in the center of it all, he puts the tree of what? Life. And he steps back and he looks at all this and he says, it is very Good This is how it ought to be. This is how i 've created humanity to experience, but humanity turns their back on God, becoming separated from God, and that 's the condition that we are born into because fallen humanity produces fallen humanity, and the Bible says that we are dead in our trespasses and sins ephesians two one that the wages of sin is death, that is separation from god romans six twenty three and that no one seeks after God. Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And you're going to say, I knew you were going to use those verses. They use them every year at Easter to beat me over the head and tell me what a sinner I am. Well, you are a sinner and I am too. But here's what I want to say to you. I'm not beating you over the head with that. I'm telling you, you were created for more. I'm telling you that that's not how it's supposed to be. I'm telling you, hmm. Counseling, 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 counseling. I'm telling you, you were created to live, really live. To experience fully what it means to be human. And this is why Jesus gets so upset when he sees Lazarus has died. Because he hates the effects of sin on the world. And so he raises Lazarus up to show us this. That he can restore your life for he is the resurrection and the life. Amen? In fact, this is why the Bible so often associates life with Jesus. When we get to the word life, I just want you to say it out loud. If you're a Christian, you ought to really say it this morning. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the? John 6, 35, I am the bread of? John 5, 40, you refuse to come to me that you may have? John 10 10, one of my favorites. I have come that you may have life and life abundantly. Don't you see? Jesus is coming. Doesn't have anything to do with your dying, it has to do with your living. And that changes everything. It changes the way that you enjoy things in the world. What is it that you enjoy? Sports? Coffee? Here's mine. Bread pudding. Smack my mama. Bread pudding. It is a gift of God. Oh, I'm, you ain't, right? But here's the thing. Here, I, come on, come on, come on, come on. The thing is, is when I'm not connected to the life source, when I'm not connected with God, and I'm not experiencing all that God has created humanity to be, all I can do is enjoy the thing. Yeah. But once I have full life in God, I can not only enjoy the thing, bread pudding, I can enjoy the giver of the thing. It's a deeper pleasure. It's a deeper enjoyment on life that you cannot have apart from Jesus Christ. For whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Because you begin to become fully human again, where you're walking in a world in relationship with God, and that changes everything. It changes how you enjoy the world. It changes how you live in relationships with other people. It changes the fact that you can have relationship with God. It makes you fully human again. Don't you see, faith family? Easter's not talking about dying. What's it talking about? Living Lehiam to life. Jesus is showing you here in Lazarus that he is here to restore humanity to life. Praise him. Secondly, Jesus does this to show us something, namely that in him eternal life begins. Not just human life is restored, but eternal life begins. Jesus' whole point to Martha is, again, stop thinking about the future. There is going to be a resurrection day, but that's only going to be a day because Jesus is there. Resurrection is wherever Jesus is. Here's the idea. Notice it on the screen. Eternal life is not about a future place. It's about an eternal person. It's about Jesus. He is where eternal life begins. Let me see if I I can illustrate this, okay? Okay. if you go to the book of Revelation, talks about our future, uh, the end times, um, you're going to find things like, for instance, Jesus will return according to his timeline, not ours. Uh, when that happens, he's going to wipe away every tear and there'll be no more mourning or sorrow. And the Bible says death will be no more. Isn't that right? Those of you that, that, that study the book of Revelation, isn't that in there in the future? What does Jesus do here in John 11? He returns, not according to their timeline, but his. He wipes away their tears and turns their mourning into joy, and death is no more. He's letting them experience now what they will one day experience for eternity. Eternal life in Jesus starts today. It's not about one day. It's about today. Because it's not about dying, it's about living. And do you understand this morning that that can happen in your life today? If anyone be in Christ, they're a new creation. Romans 6 says we have been buried in baptism And we have been risen to walk in newness of life. 1 Peter 1 says that because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have been born again to a living hope. Some of y'all testify to this, will you not? That that hope, that joy, that peace that one day is promised to you, you have right now in your life. Because Jesus is your life. Anybody? Absolutely. Amen. Because he has come that you may have life. Jesus not only restores human life, he not only brings in eternal life, but notice thirdly, that in Jesus, resurrection life is fulfilled. Resurrection life is fulfilled. You see, Lazarus is just the appetizer before the main course. He is the opening band before the good music happens. You know, he's like... Florida Georgia line before Chris Stapleton. You know what I mean? Like, before the real music happens, it's it's this other music, okay? Um, That's my theology anyways. (laughs) Lazarus is preparing you for something bigger, something greater. Um, and, And Jesus knows this. He knows this. When he raises Lazarus from the dead, he knows exactly what's going to happen. Look, you get a glimpse of it in verse 53, so from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Now, here's what happens. After Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, the religious leaders get together and they say, we can't have this. We're going to have to put a stop to this. We're going to have to kill him. I wonder if the conversation went like this. Hey, everybody, come here for just a second. Uh, I got a great idea. Just hear me out. Why don't we kill The man who keeps giving everybody life. And yet that's exactly what religion does. Religion will strip all the life out of you. The letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Look at this on the screen. It may be one of the best things I've ever written, and that's not saying much. But religion takes the life that Jesus gives and crucifies it. Oh, listen, our faith family would tell you that I preach against religion maybe more than anything else. Why? Because this is not about a religion. This is about a real person. His name is Jesus. You can know him and you can have a real relationship with him. Anybody want to say amen? Amen. Religion will destroy you. Jesus can resurrect you that's not even the main point that I wanted to make. I just kind of had to get that off my chest because it's true. Here's the point I want us to really think about. Now listen, listen, come here, come here. Overflow, Sanctuary, Lakeville, everybody right here. Jesus knew that to give Lazarus life would mean his death. Jesus knew That to defeat your funeral, he would have to cause his. And he gladly made the trade. Jesus was willing to give his life so that Lazarus could live. And that's exactly what happened. If you follow the narrative of John, on Friday... Outside the city, they take, they take Jesus out and they nail him to a cross. Like Martha and Mary, Jesus feels as though God had abandoned him. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But God had a plan. He always has a plan. And they took Jesus' body down off the, tomb, off the cross. They laid him in the tomb for three days, making sure there was no doubt at all that he was dead. And on the third day, the Bible says that as they came to anoint the dead body, a word was declared to them that would forever change the world. It was declared, He is not here, for He has risen. Amen. And some of you are like, really, clapping? Like, you really believe this? You look right here. I absolutely believe it. The evidence of the empty tomb... The eyewitness accounts, the actual appearances of Jesus to over 500 people, the unexplainable transformation of the disciples, the impact on human history, the real experience of millions of Christians throughout the generations. Yes, my friend, I am certain that Jesus is unquestionably alive and he is most certainly the resurrection and the life. I am absolutely convinced of it and what that means for us is this as we close listen to me this morning what this means is that salvation is not about being good or bad it's about being dead or alive I know what some of you are going to say and again I understand why you're saying it and I'm so glad that you're here but people are going to say I'm fine because I'm a pretty good person but friend let me be real with you it's not about being good it's never been about being good One of the most moral people, maybe who's ever lived, came to Jesus one night. His uh, name was Nicodemus, and he asked Jesus, how can I enter the kingdom of God? How can I have a relationship with God? And Jesus didn't say, well, try harder. Jesus didn't say, well, you need to be a little better. What did Jesus say, faith family? You must be born again, because it's not about being good or bad. It's about being dead or alive. Being good didn't get Lazarus out of the grave. Life did. And being good won't get you out of yours, but Jesus can. Jesus gives life. You say, well, how do I get that life? It's the very question that Jesus asks in this passage. Do you believe? Because whoever believes lives. Are you alive today? I mean really alive. Look to Jesus by faith and you will pass from death to life. The second thing you got to know before you leave today is this, is that being a Christian in light of this passage is not having Jesus as a part of your life. You say, really? You don't want Jesus to be a part of my life? No, I do not want Jesus to be a part of your life. Because being a Christian is not having Jesus be a part of your life. Being a Christian is having Jesus as your life. That's what a Christian is. He's not an add-on. He's not a religious blanket to keep you warm in case life gets cold. He is the resurrection and the life. And that means he must be the single defining relationship in your life. You can love other things and love other people. That's good. That's fantastic. Those are gifts of God. But a Christian is someone who has come to the point of realize there's nothing better in life than Jesus because he is life. Paul says to live is Christ. Colossians 3, 4, he says Christ who is our life. Would you look to him today and trust him as your very life? Lastly is this, just know that Jesus is the life you've been looking for. Jesus is the life that you've been looking for. Some of you, you've hit dead end after dead end. Maybe you'd say, well, I'm fine, pastor. I live for my spouse. I live for my family. I live for my job. I live for fun. But you do know that all those things are temporary. And what will you do when those things are gone? You see, Jesus is the only one that can say, I will give you everlasting life and actually deliver. He is the life you're looking for. Come to him today. Do you remember that famous scene in Shawshank Redemption? When uh, Andy and Red are out in the courtyard in the prison and they're up against the wall and they're having a conversation about how life is just always going to be this way. They're always going to be in prison. It's never going to change. And eventually Andy begins to get frustrated and he he looks at Red and he 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 gives that famous line. He says, "I guess it just comes down to a simple choice. You either get busy living or you get busy dying." And I know that all of you in our locations, you're about to walk out a door. And before you are two options. You can get busy living or you can get busy dying. And I'm telling you that Jesus Christ, the resurrection and the life, is the only one who makes the difference. As for me and this church, we choose life. Abundant life, eternal life. We choose to live every day with the promise that because Jesus walked out of the grave, we too one day will pass through a grave and we will walk into a kingdom. And when I get there, I'm gonna take my glass. And I'm gonna have them fill it all the way up with communion wine. And I'm going to join with the redeemed from every nation in a toast. And I'm going to raise my glass high. And I'm going to look my Savior in the eye. And I'm going to say, L'chaim! Lehiam To life. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Will you pray with me? God, thank you for this wonderful truth this morning, the good news that is Easter, that Jesus came not just to give us hope in dying, he, he came to give us life, real life, abundant life, eternal life. If there is somebody here today that's never received that life, I pray that right now, they would turn from their sin. They would turn from living life their own way. And they would surrender to Jesus. They would just say, I believe that you're life. I want you to be my life. That they would believe. Others in this room, maybe, maybe they've just grown distant. Maybe they've been disappointed. Maybe just a lot of things have happened. And this morning is just a time of renewal where you resurrect them and their walk with you, God. You know every need, every situation, and I'm just praying that you would come as you did in the beginning and breathe life on us. And I pray it in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. Amen.